crazy. Am I introing this thing? Yes, you are. Oh boy, from the ground up. All right, welcome everybody. We are live. This is a funny intro. Welcome everybody to another episode of Ultra Max Pro, Ultra Pro Max, still workshopping the name there, the podcast where we talk about app development and the Apple ecosystem. Uh, you've got me, Luke, the junior developer of the bunch, and we've also got Joshua Wold, the designer, the UI UX designer. Say hi, Joshua. Uh, hi, Joshua. And we've got Sadia, the more um, experienced developer of the group. I think we should maybe work in a, a plus into the name, Ultra Pro Max Plus, or maybe even an I prefix, Ultra I Pro Max Plus, something like that. This is just one giant meta, what's the word I'm lo looking for? Satire on Apple, yeah? We'll just have a, a nice big poll for out of 100 names. Which one do the users like the best? Alrighty, well, let's jump into this. The first thing on our topic is, uh, well, we like to talk about you know, the Apple ecosystem, we were making fun of the name, but we also like to talk about just general design paradigms, just different ways that the Apple ecosystem interfaces with a bunch of the other apps that we're building or different processes that we work through. So the first question on our docket is, where do you get ideas from? Joshua, let's start with you. Yeah, uh, and I'm going to um, mess with your intro a little bit. This is episode 11, so we'll we'll update that. This is our first public episode, so if you're first listening to this, it's not episode 11 for you, but it is for us. <laughs> Oh, that's crazy. Ideas. I have been a note taker for years. So I have lists of lists on my Bear Notes or Apple Notes. I'm, I'm transitioning to Apple Notes, partly because of Sadia. I'm actually liking it a lot better. And Bear Notes came out with an update a month or two ago that just changed the UX paradigm. And I don't like it as much. I have a app idea note doc. I have a movies I want to watch note doc. I have a articles I want to write, uh, novels I want to write. I just have these master lists that I've been keeping for years. When an idea pops into my mind, I put it on there and I've got a lot of them. And I find that ideas usually come from frustrations. I'm frustrated with an existing app and I think, oh, surely I could do better. <laughs> Which the, the answer often is, well, not necessarily. That's actually a hard problem to solve. But that, so I throw it on a dock of, uh, in my notes. Oh, I think I could do that idea. If someone says, oh, I wish there was an app that did blank, I, I go write it down. And then occasionally I have my own just brand new ideas of what if I could do this? But generally it's just from the diaspora. How do you say that word? Dis diaspora? Diaspora. Thank you. I've read it. I don't say it too often. I'm getting Jewish. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's either often from the diaspora of just being around apps and ideas coming up from other people, but I capture them. I don't know if I have original ideas too often. Who honestly has original ideas all that often? They're always pulled from somewhere. Luke, Sadia, how about you? All my ideas are stolen. Yeah, I steal my ideas. I, I, take, I take an app and I go, oh, this app sucks. I want to rebuild it myself. I'll make it better. That's where I get my ideas from. And then I just started, thank you for the idea. I just started uh, a note stock of my app ideas. So that's good. I've got a couple in there already. The way I think I flesh out my ideas is by talking them through. I, I like some idea will pop into mind and then I'll think about it for 30 seconds and then I'll send someone a audio message and go, what do you think about this app idea? I think usually... You know, people will either say that's a terrible idea or they'll tell you it's a good one, whether it goes back into the dock or not. What about you? You build apps from time to time. Yeah, well, I'm, actually, I'm curious. I have a follow-up question for you, Sadia. Do you ever feel like you uh, stumble into the not invented here syndrome? I, I, I've heard my professors talk about this. Like we often fall into the not invented here, meaning even though it works, 
we didn't make it and it doesn't fit exactly how we think it should be made. Do you ever find that problem? I, I definitely fall into that, but I think it's legit. I think that it's not a bad thing because I have this like core fundamental philosophy, this belief that there is a market of people out there who want apps that feel native, that want apps that have integrations with the operating system. They want apps that integrate with like live widgets or whatever. Oh, geez, what's it called? Interactive widgets, live activities, and all sorts of different operating system level bits and pieces. And when I see an app that's like, oh, this app kind of sucks and it doesn't have a widget and it doesn't do this, it doesn't do that, it doesn't integrate with a health app or whatever it is. I think, yeah, maybe it's a bit of not invented here, but also I think that this proves that there's a market for this kind of app, but if it were done really well, maybe I can steal all of their customers. I feel like people these days when they're talking about going out and starting a business or starting an app or et cetera, they kind of hit against the wall thinking, oh, well, there's nothing new under the sun. Like it's so impossible to come up with an original idea and have wild success with that original idea. But you guys are mostly talking about just stealing ideas from other people and making them better. Do you feel like there are that in, are there even that many new original ideas to be had or should we just solely focus on just improving things and making things better? I don't feel like ideas are that big of a deal. I Maybe you've already experienced this, Luke. I'm guessing Sadia has, where you're talking to a founder and they require an NDA before they'll even tell you their idea. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> I've realized now, oh, you sweet summer child, you, you don't really know how the world works yet. And that's okay. I will humor you. But if you are expecting an NDA for your idea, you probably don't understand how great apps actually get built. So for me, I don't think ideas are that precious. Uh, if I'll share out ideas to people, it's the implementation of them, I feel, that matters more than the original idea. You know, in like the literary world, there's this saying, kill your darlings. You, you've come across that before, Joshua. And the idea is that you should... Uh, not get too attached to your characters or if you do then you should kill them off also in the product world there's this concept of ideas are they're sheep they're not pets you know they're cattle they're not pets you got to be willing to axe them and so yeah you know you have a thousand good ideas what matters is the execution i was working with two founders that were coming to me with ideas and what i appreciated about them is they recognized that it's better to fail very quickly with an idea and learn from that. And so even if it takes, let's say that you just take an idea, run it by some potential users, describe it to them, show them some screens, show them some code, that feedback is helpful versus if you take your idea and just work on it indefinitely for months or years at a time, you might come up with a great app, but you're not getting any feedback loop built into your process. I also will caveat that with, the original iPhone wasn't built from a committee. It was built for, as an iteration on lots of earlier ideas, all brought together by a great team. So there, I, there's this idea, this idea that version one of a product often has to just be created by a small team. Versions two, three, four, five can be iterated on based on user feedback. But if you use user feedback too much for version one, you're going to struggle. So that that's a whole other topic. But I wanted to bring that in maybe for a future. Uh, episode. Yeah, that's great. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Maybe we'll have to release that episode or maybe it was a week prior where you just said to, you know, get your idea out there, fail as quickly as you can, put a little button on there that is the payment button, even if it doesn't go to payment processing and just see 
if you have anything that sticks. I want to follow up a little bit on ideas and how you're keeping track of them. You guys both said notes app. Um, Joshua, were you were you talking? You're just using the iPhone notes app. Are you guys both using that or are you using something else to keep track of all your lists? I've been using going back um, Evernote, Apple Notes, uh, Bear Notes. I'm sure there's two or three other ones, drafts. I've tested a bunch over the years. I was solidly stuck on Bear Notes, which is a little premium app from this indie developer that has Mac, iPhone, and they're fantastic. But they released a big update a month or two ago that I struggled to use. So I'm switching back to Apple Notes for my notes. And for me, everything I think of exists in my life, exists in notes documents in different places that all kind of just link to each other. <laughs> so they're all over the place. Well, you can do that now, right? With the new update, you can link between notes. I believe so, yes. Wait, so with the Apple Notes, you can put little like hot links that link to different notes within your Apple Notes? Mm-hmm. That's great because I was struggling with keeping all of those things organized and separate and I've got a million different lists and I forget which ones have been started so I start new ones. Well, I've also got like uh, folders and you know, so I, I just need a simple notes app. I don't need something super complicated with whatever. But actually, Apple Notes does have some some pretty in-depth features. The col it has collaboration tools. So my wife and I have a bunch of notes that we share together. You know, we have like a home projects notes and we have a baby names notes and things like that. I even share notes with my kids. And, and then also I have a bunch of pinned notes, only probably five. I have five pinned notes and probably wouldn't want too many more than that. I just pinned my app ideas note though. And then uh, I have folders. So one thing that I do, Luke, is I have like a music folder and I put in music that I'm writing into there. And then I've got like a journal folder and I have locked notes in there. Actually, now that I think about it, the Apple Notes app is really good. It's got lots of really good features. One of the reasons I couldn't use it last time and about every two or three years I reevaluate is the syncing was just a nightmare because I'm on laptop, iPad, iPhone. And if there's even more than 10 seconds delay to switch device and start picking up the editing process or writing process, it frustrates me. And I do feel that that syncing is fantastic now. I will say it still annoys me that iCloud updates when you load the Notes app. It does not update in the background like Bear Notes would, but that's it's fast enough that I'm okay with it. The reason I ask, I mean, we have the next topic here is Notion, and I have fallen in love with Notion because it lets me visualize all of the all of the spiderweb of mess in my head. We had some pretty strong distaste against Notion last time we talked, so uh, let's let's talk about. We have a Sadia follow up with Notion here. Sadia, what do you got? You know, in episode ten, we talked a little bit about how I hated Notion and and the vile gut reaction that I have when I think about Notion. And so this week, I actually had an opportunity to dive back into Notion and to explore it again. And so I spent the better part of a day in Notion just the other day. And um, actually, I'm able to confirm to you guys that I really, really hate Notion. It is terrible. <laughs> I was pulling my hair out. Man, I was... I. Oh, just thinking about it makes me so stressed. I can feel it in my body. I can taste it in my gut. Man, ugh, Notion is terrible. The amount of times I was accidentally deleting things, it never does what I want it to do. It just makes no sense. Like, how can I say remove a view and it somehow removes all of my databases? Like, 
How does that work? I don't get it. I do not understand Notion. I do not think it makes any kind of sense. And I think that the most responsible, practical thing that Notion can do is close it down and force everybody to switch to Apple Notes. That is the most bold claim I've ever heard. Joshua, do you have any thoughts? I'm going to put this into the notes for a future episode. I read a fantastic article about the inherent challenge of editing on a mobile device because you don't have the ability to insert your cursor easily into the middle of words to modify it. That's another topic, but I bring this up. That Notion does not treat the way I expect to edit in the way that I'm used to with any other app. This has actually been a challenge with WordPress that Sadia and I are very familiar with. That when uh, am I adding a block right now or am I editing a paragraph in a block being their Notion's little versions of widgets? And that mode switching mentality, when an app tries to do both in the same creative space, it just it causes my brain to kind of blow up. And that's one of the things I remember with Notion that just bothers me that I'm just trying to create text right now and then occasionally insert into it. And it doesn't do the text creation perfectly, but it also doesn't do the block creation perfectly. And it just feels like a subpar version of either of them. And sometimes when you're editing text, you think, oh, I'm just editing some paragraph text here, but actually you're editing some database down the stack somewhere and you didn't even realize you're changing it all and, and potentially ruining all of that data set. And then you think, oh, I'd like to bring this data set in here and have it display a little differently. But no, now it's displayed differently everywhere. Or it's just, it's not clear when you're editing an instance of something versus a copy or a, a visual view of something. Do you know what I mean? That's, well, I'm just going to say this reminds me of back in the day when I used to try to create um, flyers on Microsoft Word. This is like circa 2007. The nightmare of trying to... You mean 1997? <laughs> not, not, I, I guess I could have been, actually. I, I was doing some stuff around then, but it was much more limited. The, the frustration of when you're working in a WYSIWYG editor, which is what you see is what you get. It's one of those editors that you just create text and in the background it magically formats them. Where your cursor is, is still... A confusing thing to people to this day like I'll watch someone working in a Google Doc a Microsoft Word Doc etc and they are struggling to write words while also inserting graphics because the cursor and the styles all conflict with each other that's basically reminiscent of the of Microsoft Word when I'm using Notion now is it really that bad no I understand how to functionally put everything in that I need to, but I can't really get into the flow because I never fully trust it. I always have this slight moment of, is the next action I'm going to take what I think it's going to be? <laughs> and even if you're 90% correct, like Sadia, he's like 90% sure this won't modify the database. You, you start to not trust it. And that makes you never get into that flow of really creating things. That's understandable. It's I, I need to bring some defensive notion into the chat here just as uh, <laughs> I really do love it. But I'm thinking, you know, now that I think about it, I mean, I'm a developer. Sadia, you're a developer. But I think, I don't know, it makes me question my claim because I'm about to make a claim here about a developer's brain. But obviously you have a different opinion than I do. Whereas I feel like 
I have the databases and they're sitting there. Like I just put everything into boxes, right? And it's like, okay, this database is here. And then I've got all these different views of a database and I can put views of a database anywhere. Now, what confuses me about Notion is that I can't ever see where those databases live necessarily. I'm just like, okay, those databases are there. And if I go to create a new database view, I can then see, okay, here's my list of databases that I can then link to this view. However, there's no good place to actually go look and say, okay, here's my list of databases. I can delete this one or get rid of that one. Like there's no good way to really delete it. And if you delete the last remaining view of a database, now that database is gone. So that is confusing. Man, I was just, all I was trying to do is customize the homepage or whatever it is, some home view. I just wanted to simplify it. I wanted to have in a title here and a title there and some descriptive text. And it had this view of a database there. And I thought, no, I don't want, I don't want to show my database here. I want to maybe put a, a link to it here or maybe just use the sidebar to get to it. So I remove that view of the database, keep working, keep working. And then I go to find my database and it's, it just disappeared. I will say, you know, the way, the way Notion really excels, at least in my head, is it makes it very easy to compartmentalize and very easy to, you know, kind of form a hierarchy. You know, you're not... It's, it's a very vertical paradigm of organizing stuff, right? You have your database of, say, to-do items. You can tag them all in a certain way so you can sort them. And then on each and every database item, you can link a page to that. Not even link, just embed, like nest a page inside of that item. So you can just keep nesting and nesting, which if you set it up wrong, obviously can get very confusing and befuddling because they don't give you a good way to see everything and how it's all mapped. But if you can keep that paradigm in your head, I don't know. We're going on and on in circles here. What are you using Notion for? Because for me, it's trying to make a replica of how I treat Apple Notes, which is various notes and information all linking together. Are you doing something different? I mainly use Notion for, well, in development, I mainly use Notion to track. Uh, it's like a to-do list, essentially, but it's like features. It's like, it's a feature list, right? So we have, you know, you're tagged to different releases, um, you have all these different tags, like of priorities, like how, how fast they need to get developed, um, other concerns like, is this, uh, is this a UI concern? Is this a backend concern? Is this a database concern? Um, it just helps me very easily prioritize my long backlog of, of features. And then on each and every one, then I can invest in embed nest more uh, direct features. I also use it, we talked about this a little bit, I, I teach piano lessons as well, uh, virtually online, and it's really nice because I can have databases of uh, piano exercises and music and all these different t genres of music all kind of sorted. And then in each one of my, each one of my students also has their own Notion page that I can share. And they, and I write all of our lesson notes in that Notion page. And the, um, the toggles make it very easily to hide uh, past lessons so they can just open up the lesson that they're working on. And then the real kicker is that I can then link database items into their page directly. So I can just, without moving all these files around, my files live in one place and I can put a little link to that file in their lesson notes so that they just click it and they can go see it. And it's, it's all just very nice and contained. Do any of your students ever complain that they can't uh, access it? I, the reason is I tried using Notion to run a, uh, 
what we would call a Sabbath school, where you have a bunch of teachers who are all coordinated together every week to teach the kids. And I kept getting complaints that they couldn't log into the Notion. And I'm like, well, there's a guest account or there's a login. And it just became this cumbersome thing where they never could just access the data. So I ended up creating a Google Doc. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I, I don't because I never have them log into it. I never give them accounts or anything like that. There's no edit access, only view only view they can just i just essentially publish a page as a website and they i just give them a link and they're good to go that makes sense so yeah that's uh that's notion moving on to other new paradigms and and ways that we think about things uh social media mastodon uh let's talk about mastodon experience well first of all mastodon is a a social for those of you who don't know a social media platform that um it supposedly gets back to the essence of what social media was supposed to be there's no algorithms um, that serve you up the content that they think you should need. It's also open source, so you can see all of the quote-unquote algorithms that they do use. So, um, who who put this in the who put this in the uh, the log? Who has the most thoughts about Mastodon? I started using social media before Facebook became popular, and it was MySpace, and then a bunch of little tiny players that were all existing until Facebook came along. And then when Twitter came along, it just became this fantastic way of digesting short form written content from people I enjoyed following. So I, I set curated Twitter to follow about 300 people over five or six years. And I enjoyed learning from them. Some of them were in the WordPress space, some of them were in the tech space. And that would just became this, I'd go there a couple times a day and see what people were writing. In the last year, that's just no longer a place I enjoy being on, uh, mainly because of all the people I follow, they have left. They're now on Mastodon. So I decided to try to follow them over there. And in this case, a lot of them are indie developers and Apple podcasters and tech enthusiasts. So I've had the luck of replicating the community from Twitter over on Mastodon. It's a decent experience for me. I actually have gotten a lot of good ideas. Consuming content from this from Mastodon over the last six or eight months, a couple times a day, and I enjoy that. It, it feels like a almost replica of Twitter for how I used it. And uh, I've been testing a couple different apps. Currently, my favorite is Ivory. I, I do like that experience. I don't know long-term, how I'll like to use it, but at the moment I'm enjoying it. What instance are you on? I tried to get on Mastodon.social. This is a whole other thing. You with it, Because it's federated, which means you can have lots of instances of Mastodon that all connect together. That sounds perfect. But I couldn't get on Mastodon.social, so I have Mast.to, which means if I try to look at someone I follow and see who they're following, it only shows the people from Mast.to that they're following, not Mastodon.social. This is getting w way too... <laughs> <laughs> specific, but um, I'm on mass.to currently. I think I also am. Yeah, I'm confused by it all. I'm not super familiar with Mastodon. So there's just tons of different servers. Unpack this a little bit. This is a huge UX problem. It's actually one that Obsidian struggles with, which is another app similar to Notion. When you download the app, the first question you're asked is, which instance would you like to get on? You're like, I don't know. What do you mean? What are you talking about? So there's thousands of instances. Think of them like servers of small communities that have come together, or think of them like subreddits, small communities that have come together and they've agreed to interconnect with each other. So if you're on the mastodon.social instance, you can see stuff that people from mastodon.world post 
if you both have agreed to show it. And <laughs> so there's this confusing moment when you download an app. You, If you haven't created an instance, you have to go spend uh, time browsing through all of them and decide which one's for you. And that is... Some people think the best thing ever for Mastodon. Frankly, for me, it's, it's confusing and causes chaos. So I kind of just lucked into, I just picked one and I never thought about it again. It is a bit of a mess from a UX perspective. So I just tried adding you on Mastodon, right? Here I am in, in Ivory. So how do I find you? I don't, I don't know what your username is, but you told me you're on Mastodon. So I go into search, type in Joshua Wald and press users with Joshua Wald. Nothing, you're not there. You're not coming up, sorry. I'm absolutely there. That's one of the problems. So then I changed it. I'm going to guess that your username is just Joshua Wald, one word, and I'm going to hit go to user at Joshua Wald, and I found you. There we go. But you didn't come up in a user search for your name. That's so fantastic. I'm just excited to hear that. All right. Mastodon is this very geeky. It reminds me of the old forums that I used to be on 2004, 2005, that once you were in there, if there's 100 other people talking about a topic you enjoyed, it was great. But um, it is not a mass consumption product by any means. There is a massive friction just to get in there and do anything. Yeah, hardly an alternative to social media as we know it. It's more of like a Discord server that's just with a lot more people on it kind of situation. Discord's a good similarity, actually. I don't have... My friends in Idaho that I hang out with are never going to get on a Discord server. That's just not something they would even care to do. Pretty much the same with Mastodon. So it makes sense that the people I follow are all technical, geeky people. And that <laughs> thankfully works for my my use case, my instance. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so then you would say that Mastodon is just... Your positive experience is more about the people that's on it rather than the actual infrastructure and the platform. Those people could be over on anywhere else right now and i would probably get about the same experience and be happy with that you'll have to make a list of people for me to follow i'd, I'd like to follow who you follow but since they're not on the same server i don't know i will do that for you guys <laughs> but we gotta get some show notes or something you could put that in because i mean all of our our listeners are going to be ideally more tech people that listen and want to so this mastodon would be perfect for them to get all that um next thing up here sadia's annoyance with apple map place names this is very niche and i'm excited to hear it no, I mean, what's the point of podcasting if you can't have a little rant every now and again about something that affects nobody except for you? No, so this is a so, so last year, me and my family went to Israel and we visited friends there. We stayed in a yeshuv, a, a small town called Tekoa. Now, Tekoa is in the West Bank. It is legal under Israeli law. Um, there are places around where people, where you know, Jews live that are illegal under Israeli law, but Tekoa is legal. It's probably illegal under international law. Here I am the other day going, oh, I wonder if Tekoa has been added to Apple Maps yet because when we were there last year, it, ha it hadn't, didn't have any of the streets on there or anything like that. And so we were always using Waze. Everybody in Israel just uses Waze. And so I'm searching Tekoa, Tekoa, no, it's not there yet. But I just do a, a search on the map itself, and I find this other place called Janata. And I'm like, that, what? That looks just like Tekoa, but it's not. It turns out Apple just have incorrectly named it. All of the streets have got the right names. Tchelik Mordechai, that's where we stayed. I can see the place where we stayed last year. Everything's right, except it's got the wrong name for the area. And I'm guessing 
it's like the Arab name, but there are no Arabs that live there. It's an Israeli settlement, you know, it's surrounded by uh, barbed wire and it's, you have to be interviewed to be, to, to live there. So all, everyone who lives there is a Jew, you know, there are Arab lands around, but anyway, so I'm like, oh, whatever, I'll just ignore that. It doesn't affect me until I open Apple photos today and I'm looking at memories and it suggests a memory of Janata in there. And I'm like, oh, no, that's that place. That's Tokoa. It's just annoying because nobody in the whole world calls it Janata. There is a Janata, but that's like north, 10 minutes north, you know. You're the second podcaster, I've, you like that, um, I've heard that has complained about something similar to this. In the last week, someone else was talking about, I'm vague on the details, but in England, they were using the name of a township instead of a borough or something like that, where the locals would never, ever refer to it by that name, but Apple Maps insists on doing so. Um, so I'm wondering, is this a political thing or is this just where Apple screwed it up and they're not as good as the other one? Yeah, it's hard to know, isn't it? I think it's political. I think back to, I'm guessing you're very aware of this. I've done some research on map names are incredibly political worldwide universally. So these map makers have to navigate a bunch of dicey stuff. So if you're from country A, a location or a street may say something different than if you're from country B and you have situations where disputed lands between China and uh, Japan, for instance, They're, they have different names based on who is coming there from which country. But it sounds like this name is the same no matter which country you're coming from. So the Palestinians around call it Tokoa, unlike, you know, there's a bit of tension there, but Palestinians, they, they work in Tokoa and people from Tokoa, they... Um, they shop in the surrounding Arab villages, so it's not it's not a super friendly relationship, but it's friendly enough. And the Palestinians, they call it Tokoa. The people living there, they call it Tokoa. It really should just be called Tokoa on the map. Have you su submitted a support ticket? I, I, I reported it, reported it, so <laughs> see if it changes, but... I don't know. I, I think that in general, Mac makers should use the language. Now, did Google Maps call it Tokoa? Yeah, Google Maps calls it Tokoa. Yeah, should use the language that people use if that makes sense not the language that's uh, that maybe a government reports in or something like that well thank you all for joining us for the uh, uh ultra ipro max plus podcast where we talk about apple and all things development this is luke and uh sign off joshua goodbye everyone and sadia's got the last word last word <laughs>